Well, good morning, man. Come on in, grab a seat. We are going to get started um, diving in on speaking out. I want to make sure I get you guys uh, into your group so you can talk a little bit about it. And the very first thing I want you to talk about is, did we just talk about it last week? Or what are some specific examples of ways that you found yourself doing the very first thing that I think God wanted men to do, which is to step up and to say, hey, this is going to be um, my chance to lead, initiate, be a man of action, to hate apathy and reject passivity. So uh, if we are just in here and we're just going over some ideas and we're not implementing those ideas, then we're not going to change our world. We're not going to change ourselves. We want to be men of action who apply this. We talked a lot about making sure that we finish stronger than we started. Um, and so I want to encourage you to be calling guys saying, let's go. I'll see you there. Let's be there at 630 sharp. Get started. Let's get in our group. Let's talk. We're talking about five attributes of godly men. There, there's lots of ways you can go with this. These categories that I'm giving you are intentionally broad because um, you need to fill a lot of things underneath them, right? Uh, God wants us to play the man. We are called in scriptures to be strong, to act like men. And so we're trying to figure out what do men do? Last week, we said that we step up. This week, I'm going to make it very simple. I'm just going to say, speak out. That's what men do. If I had to define what it means to speak out, I'm just going to tell you that silence in the midst of sin is a sin. And so we can't sit there and uh, watch other people mess up if we don't and not speak out. I want to read you a quote by a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You may or may not have ever heard that name before. Um, he was an individual that was persecuted under communist Russia. He um, later was freed from the Gulag Archipelago and um, became a, a renowned and uh, thoughtful speaker around the world. One of the books that he wrote is called Religion in Communist-Dominated Areas. And Solzhenitsyn um, said this. It's a book from 1983. He says, uh, over a half century ago, while I was still a child, as, as if you will, um, communism and the effects of Marxism and uh, uh, Leninism and Stalinism was encroaching itself across the land, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that were beginning to befall our problem in Russia. Now, what do you think in the early days? You have to remember, communism was a 70-year experiment specifically in Russia. And it did not go well for the Russian people. But as it um, made its way out of the philosophies of Western Europe to application in communist, what became known as communist Russia, um, and people saw what was happening in their society, Solzhenitsyn said when he was a child, before he was himself oppressed by this growing ideology, he would hear young, older men saying, our country, watch this, has forgotten God. And Solzhenitsyn continues to say, since then, I've spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution, what happened. In the process, I've read hundreds of books. I've collected um, hundreds of personal testimonies from countrymen, and I've already contributed eight volumes of my own work toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by the upheaval that was oppressive communism. Now, I, I, I put that word in there. It was just communism, period. But if I were to ask today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million people that were slaughtered and suffered and imprisoned and persecuted, he goes, I would have to say, I don't need eight volumes. I need only these words, men for God. 
God. And so it begs the question, how did they forget God? And the way they forgot God is, is that men failed to do what God wants men's to do, men to do, which is to speak out, to be courageous, to fear God and not men who are going to scoff at them for what they say. They're going to learn to speak and they're going to speak the truth in love. That's what men do. And when men forget to do that, you have seen it all throughout history. You see women and children and other people suffer. Because God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. Priests are not just mediators between God and man, but but priests are reminding people continually of what is true and what is right. And when we fail to have individuals who do what they're supposed to do, in fact, the sign of judgment on the land, we read it the very first week when we were kind of setting ourselves all up in Isaiah chapter three, it says, I'm going to remove both prophet and priest from the land. It is a form of judgment when we scoff at God and we don't believe that we need God. We want to go our own way. Eventually, God's going to just um, slowly just reduce the number of voices and then altogether eliminate the voices that are the solution that is necessary in order to bring people back to the one thing that will give them freedom. Because you're not going to find freedom and hope without God. One of the great mysteries of um, the 20th century was how a largely uh, religious, and I put it in quotes in case you're listening to this uh, on audio, how a largely religious Germany could have undertaken the horrors of the Holocaust. And the answer is it was just a dead religious Germany and prophets and priests were small in number. Uh, many of the guys that were in churches uh, continually compromised in order to maintain favor with the nation state and those that were in power. And they failed to do what God called them to do. And that's why you have a constant redefining of, of churches. So there was first the confessing church and then the, the smaller uh, evangelical confessing church and then the true confessing church. Because again and again, men kept giving their way to um, fear that there was going to be members of the SS that were sitting in congregations and were arresting him. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Martin Niemöller who was one of the great prophets and leaders that um, lived in Germany during that time. And he actually was in prison because he spoke out against fascism and against the hate and, and um, the anti-Semitism that was coming out of, uh, of Hitler and his, um, you know, his political ideology. And there was a young pastoral uh, resident or intern that was making his way through the prisons, visiting those who were in prison. And he was going along the way, and he came to a cell, and there was Martin Niemöller, this giant of the faith. And he, he came across him, he looked at him, he said, Pastor Niemöller, he goes, what are you doing in here? And Niemöller looked back at this young pastor, again in quotes if you're listening on, uh, just on audio, and he said, no, my son, what are you doing out there? You know exactly what I'm doing in here. What a man of God should do during this day and age. And if you're out there walking and visiting those that are in prison, it's because you're not stepping up and speaking out and saying the things that you need to say. You're lacking courage and clarity in your message. A little bit later, um, there was a, a woman who was a propagandist for uh, um, for Nazi Germany. Her name was Elizabeth Noel Newman. And, um, and she coined the phrase, the spiral of silence, after witnessing what Hitler did to intimidate citizens until they were afraid to speak out. 
against what we know as the most horrible evens, evils imaginable. And she said, basically did this. A society generally falls into a fearful state and is afraid to say things um, anymore when the spiral of silence happens. And she said, this is what happens. Um, typically, a tiny majority, uh, a, a, a very tiny majority, so it's not even, not, not like an actual majority, but a very vocal and loud group of um, influential people begin to tell the world what to think. And um, they're going to begin to control the conversation. And so people, by and large, who don't think that something is true, but they watch influential people and media and popular um, ideas become popular and embraced. And even though they don't think they're right, they don't want to go against the flow and the tide of what they think is public opinion. And so what happens is the vast majority of people just listen to what really a small minority sounds like that a majority voice is saying. And they listen just to the conversations of the elite media, entertainment, education elite. And they kind of say, well, it really doesn't affect me mentality. This is what happened in Nazi Germany. Well, when they're coming for the homosexuals, I'm not a homosexual, so I'm not going to say anything. When they come for the trade unionists, I'm not a trade unionist, so I'm not going to say anything. When they come for the communists, I'm not a communist, so I'm not going to say anything. And when they come for the Jews, I'm not a Jew, so they're not going to say anything. It was Niemöller who famously said, and then finally they came for me. And there was nobody there to defend me. Because I was silent all along the way and didn't care when injustices were happening to people as long as those injustices didn't affect me. And so what happens is when people are silent because it's not really affecting them and they don't want to appear out of step for what they think is the majority, what happens then is when a few small voices speak out, they are, they're demonized. They're called bigots, intolerance, hate mongers. And they're oppressed and they're punished. And then everybody says, well, wow, I don't want that to happen to me. And even though then, uh, and, and so as a few prophets are picked off here and there, people start to say, well, gosh, everybody else is saying this. Those that are saying that are called awful names. I don't really want to be called an awful name. And then all of a sudden, everybody goes, well, no one's saying anything. So even though I don't think it's right, it must be right. And everybody just all of a sudden marches along. And we've got Nazi Germany in the 1930s. We've got Russia in the 20th century. We've got America in 2019. You know, one of the things, um, you know, I, I, I did one time when I was talking just here to our young adults. And when I talk to our young adults at the porch and other places, I'm always just trying to give them courage and just let them know, hey, you guys got to start to evaluate some of the things that you're hearing that are out there. I'm going to just say a few things. And we're going to read a lot of scripture in just a few short time together. But I'm going to say this. This is a men's study, so we're going to talk like men. Um, I, I was in a room with, with this crowd, and I just said, you guys do know that it's loving to speak up, right? I mean, an, uh, uh, um, we made an entire ad campaign for a beer company that said, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Now, I heard that from a, a voice that was probably uh, deep into their 40s and 50s like me, okay? But when I said that to that room, that ad campaign had come and gone, it was like one or two people that kind of slowly murmured it, which concerned me, right, when I drive around Dallas. I go, guys, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Right? They speak up, okay? They don't go, you probably shouldn't do that right now. We just, we, and everybody kind of goes, okay, yeah, all right, now, now I know the little phrase and I'm kind of for that. And then I, I started talking about, it was, it was right around the time that Bruce Jenner had just received the author, uh, author 
Ash Award for courage in sports. Y'all remember that? Neas Ben gave him that award. And I gotta tell you, I really, and I said this, and I'm gonna say it again, but listen to me all the way through. I think he should have received that award. I was a young man that um, grew up, I was 13 when, uh, when I saw Bruce Jenner win that gold medal uh, in the Montreal Olympics. I think it was 1976. And he was the greatest athlete in the world. I ate Wheaties because Bruce Jenner, okay, won that Olympic, and he was a decathlete. And uh, I was like, man, it's a good-looking American guy who's taken on the world, and he can do everything and anything. Now, here's what happened. Somewhere along the way, Mr. Jenner um, was just confused. And as he continued to find his own way through life, uh, he moved into what has been called for centuries gender dysphoria, which means he began to question his own identity and even his own gender. Now listen, when you are one of the world's most famous people and one of the world's most uh, esteemed athletes and you begin to question your masculinity, it is hard to tell people that you are more comfortable in women's clothes and living underneath a women's persona. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to raise your hand and say something inside of me is deeply wounded. Something is deeply broken. Something isn't right as it should be. As men, one of the reasons, let me tell you guys, one of the things men do when they speak out, you don't just tell culture what's going on that's wrong. You look at God's word, it's a mirror, and you go, you know what? That's not who I am. And these are the things that are strangling me and controlling me and holding me. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to look at other guys and say, there's something deeply broken in me. I'm addicted to, to two-dimensional images. I'm addicted to, um, to, to prescription narcotics. I'm addicted to work to find my identity. I'm addicted to self-promotion and anger. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to do that. Let me just say this. Let me finish this thought. Stick with me. Bruce Jenner had a tremendous amount of courage when he said to a world, look, something is going on inside of me where I'm feeling this way. Bruce Jenner's problem wasn't that he struggled with sin. All of us struggle with sin. Bruce Jenner's problem was his church. Bruce Jenner's problem was that everyone around him go, that's not a struggle, there's nothing wrong with that. You just follow your little heart, Bruce. You do what seems right to you. You be courageous enough to mock God, to mock your own pain and your own um, dissatisfaction by following after the ideas of men. I mean, I just said this, you know, to the, um, and it was, by the way, Bruce Jenner on the backside of all this thing said he's no happier than he was before. That's the problem when you're around a bunch of weak people that are followers and that are trying to look like they have some progressive ideology. And guys, listen, I'm all for progress where it comes to technology and business and industry um, and understanding. But when you, make, when you have truth and you progress off of truth, progressive ideology is not progress. It's called perversion. And we don't get better. And so I just said to them, after I, I talked about this, you know, because they were kind of shocked like you were when I said Bruce Jenner had a tremendous amount of courage. I go, guys, so let me just ask you again, right? And this is a culture that has been taught. And increasingly what's happening is um, there is 
there is grooming that has happened to our children, that they have been told and are increasingly being told that if you are a, um, a loving person, not a hate monger, okay? Now, by the way, um, and if you wanna ever go back and look at this, and you wanna look at how uh, there's been a shift, a rapid shift like never before in, in, in human history from seeing um, a certain psychological disorder that quickly becomes the norm and anybody who thinks what previously had been considered a psychological disorder, the norm, is now the person with a psychological disorder. That happened as a result of a political movement. And if you wanna understand, there's this thing called um, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual that's put on by the American Board of Psychologists. And what happens is a bunch of guys get in a room and they vote on what they think is a disorder and what isn't a disorder. And there were was, there was several people that had themselves gender identity issues and gender dysphoria that became ruling elites within the American Academy of Soci Psychologists. And they decided to vote and to change what we believed was the problem. That's all it was. You can just go back and do your own work and your own study on that. And what happened is a bunch of people go, oh, so we want to be aggressive. We don't want to be stupid. The intellectual elites are telling us this is what's true. I'm going to say it again. I go, you know, and I said this to the young adults after I talked about Bruce Jenner. I said, hey, let me just ask you again. Friends don't let friends. And this time a bunch of them mumbled and said, uh, friends don't let friends. And they started to say drive drunk. I go, cut their penises off because they think they're a woman. And it just got quiet. <laughs> And you can imagine, right? And then they looked at each other and they slowly started to laugh. And then they went, <laughs> and, and, and laughter broke out of the room. But they didn't laugh because I said the word penis. They laughed because I think somebody was telling them, hey, if you think that's crazy, you're right. If you think it's nuts that we, 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 we tell our teachers to not assign gender to young children, you're correct. And I would just say to them, let me guys ask you a question. If I, if, if, I, uh, if I came in this room and I had a dog up here and I told you that that tail at the end of that dog was a leg, how many legs does that dog have? And they go, five. I go, no, it's got four. I'm just an idiot who calls the tail a leg. That dog has four legs. And that boy has a penis. It's amazing to me that that is controversial today. It's controversial today because men have fallen into the same spiral of silence that happened in Nazi Germany. So what do we do? Well, we learn to speak the truth in love. Let me just tell you this, guys. You know, God is gonna make sure that truth prevails. He just said very simply, hey, if my disciples don't speak the truth, I'll get the rocks to cry out one day. One of the things God said is, listen, one of the ways I'm going to make men know the truth is true is the men are going to be dashed and their children are going to be dashed on the rocks. And through that pain, I'll slowly woo them back. Um, when you find somebody that stands up and starts to speak the truth in a way that makes other people kind of go, wow. It's amazing how thirsty the world is for this. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 and 12, it says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstance. Our world is desperate for men that can speak truth 
It is like an apple of gold on a setting of silver. How about this? Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The scriptures say that uh, the right answer is like a kiss on the lips, man. Who doesn't like a good kiss from a lover on the lips? And our world is looking for that. There's a guy. How many of y'all know uh, who this guy is? I'll put a little picture up uh, of this individual. Uh, He's kind of come crashing on the scene. Who knows him? How many of you guys know who that is? Just raise your hand. Yeah, it's interesting. His name is Jordan Peterson. You ever heard that name? Raise your hand if you've heard the name now. Jordan Peterson um, is an individual. He was actually a clinical psychologist, a professor of psychology at Toronto University. Um, he, he has had ever, oh, his, about 84 million different um, individuals watch his messages on YouTube. He calls himself a cultural Christian. He's not sure he really embraces Christianity. He just says Christianity is by far the most consistent and, and ethical and redemptive um, philosophy that's in the world. It works. By the way, this is what uh, Christopher Hitchens also said in his book, God not is, God's Not Dead. He was, I, I got to admit, I can't argue with Christianity. Historically, I can't argue with what it says. There's just certain things that I don't believe God should do or let happen. And because God lets these things happen, I can't believe that there really is a God. Meanwhile, Christopher, God explains why these things happen. It's because men are silent and men move away from God and then they make war with one another and they do awful things to people because nobody's stepping up and saying, we better get back to God. Hitchens didn't even listen to why God said there's evil in the world. It's not because God's evil, it's because men have forgotten God. Jordan Peterson um, became famous, and he didn't want to be, just because when the Canadian Human Rights Act passed a few years ago, which, which added gender expression and gender identity to the list of protected groups, he spoke out against it. He just said, I'm not going to call the students in my class by their preferred gender identity. I'm going to call them what I want to call them. He says, not because I want to be disrespectful. I've never, because I'm going to love them, I'm going to be careful with them and everything that I do, I'm going to care for them in every way that I can, I always have. I've got people with all kinds of ideas in my class. He goes, but you're not going to tell me how I need to speak because when a society is start to be uh, assuaged and how it should speak is when a society stops having a tournament of narratives and a mutual sharing of ideas and that's always how we get better. And so I'm not going to just carry along with this oppression. He refused to use preferred pronouns in his class. He was admonished by his uh, president. The media swarmed on him and said, you're breaking the law. And he says, well, I don't respect that law. And he stood up and all of a sudden the whole world started to listen because one guy said, this is crazy. By the way, can I just tell you how the whole world got in this mess? Let me just read you the story, see if you can find it. Anybody who's been around the scriptures for very long will know the answer to this. Look at Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. We know a little bit later that the serpent was an embodiment of evil. Uh, And it says, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, watch the very first thing that's challenged. Has God said, is the word true? Should you trust it? that you shouldn't eat from any tree of the garden. Has God, has God said that? And, uh, and the woman said, well, we can eat from, the tr- from all the trees of the garden that we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, what's interesting there is that's a misquoting of scripture. God never said don't touch it. 
Adam probably, who heard the word, that you shouldn't eat from that one tree because that tree establishes that you don't need me. That tree says, you wanna know what good and evil is. And I'm telling you, Adam, look around you. There's nothing here but perfection. And I made it. And all this beauty and, and, and perfection that you're in the middle of, this woman that I give you with which you're well pleased, that's my gift to you. You don't need to know what is good. I'm good, follow me. But if you don't believe in me, you don't have faith in me, then you can say, you'll figure it out on your own. And you go eat of that, and then you'll be on your own. And I'm gonna tell you, when you leave me, the God who is light and life and love, you're going to get darkness and death and hate. I wouldn't go there. And so apparently he told the woman, don't even touch it, which is probably not a bad idea. But what happened is because he didn't teach her why and just gave her the moral what, that woman was susceptible. And so the enemy took that apple and said, really? You surely won't die. Probably had it in his hand. Every painting you've ever seen, right? Had in his hand. This is an argument now from silence. But all he had to do was walk over there and pluck it. Go, look, I got it. I'm touching it. Am I dead? No, I'm having a great conversation with you. He said, I'll tell you why. God's not good. Doesn't have your best interest in mind. God's looking to rip you off. For God says that the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like, God, you'll know good and evil. God's just insecure. God doesn't want you to compete with him. God knows when you know what you know, you won't even need to pay tribute to him. You don't have to walk with him in the garden. You can skip around with whoever you want. So when the women saw the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, this is why we're reading this, men, watch this. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so what's the very first sin? Was it Eve eating from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil? No, I think it was the silence of Adam. Adam was right there the entire time. Not speaking up, not saying, hey, don't mess with my woman. We know what good is. And yeah, Eve, forgive me. I did say don't touch it, but God didn't tell us not to touch it. I just told you that because I didn't want you to go near it because I love you. Look at all that's around here that is beautiful and good and right about God's way. Is there anything we lack? Is there anything we want? Why would we want to mock our God? Let's at least go talk to him. He told us there was a villain here. He told us to trust him. But no, Adam just sat there passively and didn't speak up. And something far worse than communist Russia was born. In fact, communist Russia was only a symptom of that. Something far worse than anti-Semitism and Nazi fascism was born. In fact, Nazi fascism was just a symptom of that. Something far worse than transgender ideology and the corruption of marriage and family happened. In fact, it's just a symptom of what happened because men sat there quietly and were not students of the word and didn't speak up. We are called to speak. This is what it says in scripture. When you speak, you don't just go, well, I think, well, I think, I think. You want to be men that'll go, hey, I'm a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God. He is my king and he loves me. He has restored me and he's restoring more and more my glory. Can I just encourage you guys with something? You know, um, the apostles were not very learned men. But all that people knew when they were with him, like, who are these guys? And they just said, well, I'll tell you, I'm not really sure exactly who they are, but I can identify them as men who have been with Jesus. What do you think it was about them that made people know they had been with Jesus? I think part of it was, yes, for sure. Whenever Jesus showed up, they showed up. But I think it's because they talked like him. One of the things that humbles me when I read my New Testament 
and God comes to earth over, think about this. God is here in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. And 78 times he quotes what he already said. I mean, Jesus can go anywhere he wants, right? Every word that comes from him is the word of God. And he quotes scripture. When the apostles wrote 209 times in the, in the, in the, um, you know, from Romans to Revelation, they're, they're quoting the Old Testament. And frankly, the rest of the time, Paul is just elaborating on what Jesus said. The book of James is basically um, James's effort to capture the truths of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you speak, guys, it's not enough just to speak. You want to speak the words of God. It alone, do you guys know this? It alone is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that men of God might be equipped and adequate, ready for every good work. This is 2 Timothy chapter four now, which are the very first words that come right out of that. Hey, know the word of God. This is why if you wanna speak out, men, you have got to prepare yourself to speak out. You've gotta discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You don't wanna be like philosophers who are just trying to grab out and write volumes and volumes and volumes of how men should think. A loving God has showed you how you should think. Solzhenitsyn said, I've done all kinds of study myself. I've written eight volumes. You know what our problem is? We've forgotten God. And somebody has to remember him. Somebody's got to speak up and fear God and not men. Watch this. This is 2 Timothy 4 when I solemnly charge you, man. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead. Make no mistake. Not Stalin, not Lenin, not Hitler, not society's elite, not the future progressive of America. God is going to judge by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. When we talk about what makes godly men in biblical community, we say they devote themselves daily. They love the word of God so when they love others, they can speak the word of God. How many times you have no apples to bring of gold because you've never listened to what God said? What did Adam need to do at the moment of greatest human peril? Speak the words of God. What do you need to do? You've got to be men that learn to speak the words of God. It's why we devote ourselves daily so, and then we pursue other people relationally. We live and speak truth about our own brokenness. We ask others to sharpen us. And when we encourage each other, we counsel each other biblically. It's how we engage missionally. We preach the word. When do you preach the word, Todd? Well, in season and out of season. We reprove, we rebuke, we exhort with great patience and instruction. Verse three says, for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. And guess what? Somebody's going to have to step up. We are in that day. And I want to tell you, Jordan Peterson, you know what he's doing? Jordan Peterson, when he says, listen, guys, I'm not going to give away human history. You guys always used to mock the Christians because they were so anti-science. Well, let me just tell you something. Science is settled that there are binary genders. And so now what's the other side saying? Well, science isn't really important. Being spiritually enlightened is important. And Peterson's just going, bull. Bull. And 
the world is running to him. This brother has become a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He's a New York Times bestseller. Do you know why? Because he's just going, I believe the book of Genesis is true. Because our world is like children in so many ways. They go, the emperor looks naked to me, but nobody is saying he's naked. Everybody's applauding and acting like the emperor has clothes on. And so I guess I'm not gonna have the faith of a child that God's word is true. And by the way, have the faith of a child, but have the intellect of an adult. You go and test this book. And you see if it's not true. Most of you have already tested it, by the way, by mocking the promises and warnings of God. And you're paying a steep price for it. And so let me just encourage you. Why don't you test if you follow it, if it doesn't work out well for you? Go listen to my series, I Am Rich. Because for 30 years, I tested the word of God, which says, I once was young and now I'm old. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants beg for bread. All day long, he is gracious as lens and his children are a blessing. And I'm just telling you, I've been running a 30-year experiment to see if that word is true. And even though I haven't been perfect in my, my affections for God, the huge direction of my life has been towards trusting him. And let me just add myself to the words of David. I once was young, and now I'm old, and I have not ever been forsaken by my God. God has allowed me to be gracious and lend, and by the kindness of God, my children have followed my steps, and they are a blessing. Test it. Men won't endure sound doctrine, but they're going to sure look out in their pain. They're going to want to have their ears tickled and accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they are all over TV. They'll turn aside their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside the myths. Like, if you want to be a woman and you're a man, you can be. But you, men, be sober. Don't be drunk with the zeitgeist, the philosophy of the age. Endure hardship. And when you speak the truth, I'm just going to love you enough to tell you. If the world is powerful enough and wickedness is prevailing enough and it always gets that way when men don't speak up early, it's getting more difficult. But you be like Jesus who showed up at a very dark time and don't be surprised when they hate you the way they hated him. You do the work of an evangelist, a person who shares the good news as a messenger of God. Fulfill your ministry. (laughs) We need men who realize that they've got to deal with a sin in their own heart and have the courage of Bruce Jenner and you just make sure you're surrounded by the church. Who could have saved Bruce Jenner a lot of pain? Y'all with me? It takes courage to speak truth about what is authentically wounding your soul. That's what I mean when I say Jenner was courageous. His problem wasn't his sin struggle, his problem was his church. You know what the problem with America is? The church men. And we are here to put a stem to it and to stop it. And so we've got to be guys who know what God says because God loves people and speak up. This is what one guy said a long time ago. Is there a decay of conscience? The pulpit is the reason for it. Let me just say it this way. You men, kingdom of priests, you're the reason that consciences are hardened and being decayed. You're the reason that progressive ideologies are being imposed upon our children through our public education system, and that is systematic and intentional. 
It's what Hitler did. It's what Lenin did. It's what they're doing to our kids. Is the public press lacking moral discernment? The pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, it's because there are no men in it. It's become feminized and weak, and we just buy that God wants us to go through this weekly gathering and not go through radical living. If the world loses interest in Christianity, the pulpit's responsible for it. If Satan rules in the halls of our legislation, the pulpit's responsible for it. Men, corrupt, weak men. I could go on, but you get the point. And so you guys got to figure out what's true with me and you got to embed it in your heart and we have to start saying it and just go, you know what, you're, you're just, these are old worn out ideas that Jesus had. We reject that. So you can reject it. You can't reject the consequences. And I just want to be a faithful friend. And you want to lock me up, lock me up. But I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you, Eve of civilization, be seduced while I go along with you. I will speak up and say the emperor is naked. Let him imprison me as I mock his futility. <sighs> Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, 1 Peter 3.15. Which means first thing we got to do as men is, is live lives that are worthy, right? We don't, you ever heard that said, hey, man, your life is speaking so loud I can't hear what you're saying? So we've got to lead. We've got to lead ourselves. And as we lead ourselves, which is to say, sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, we've got to always be prepared to make an offense when anyone asks us to give an account for the hope that is within us. And when you speak the truth, guys, speak the truth in love. Speak, it says in 1 Peter 3.15, with gentleness and reverence. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, as it were, in order that might be able to give grace to those who hear it. The words of the wise, Proverbs 15.2 says, make uh, knowledge acceptable, but the mouths of fools spout folly. There's a time to talk straight, like friends don't let friends. But there's a time, there's a time to just sit and be kind and gentle. One of the reasons Jordan Peterson, this cultural Christian, has such a following is because he's just talking straight. Let us talk straight with grace and truth. Amen? Amen. Let's go, man. Father, would you make us men, not who speculate or who philosophize, but men who speak the truth who do the work of good messengers, evangelists, who are sober and not drunk on popularity or people-pleasing. Help us to step on the throat of a weak, passive Adam and be a life-giving spirit like your son Jesus who dwells in us. And because we spend time in your word and with him, when we speak, may the words of our mouth even as the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. And so, Lord, help us to take ground this week in spurring each other on to love and good deeds. And, Lord, we believe your word is the solution. And we know men have rejected it, but let us not reject you. Let us be godly men. And would you bring grace and healing to a wounded land, wounded genders, a wounded legislature, a wounded church, wounded families, wounded children. Let us heal them in your name. Make us men. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys. Let's go.